0: And we're rolling. Welcome to – coming in other than Dinda? And we're rolling. Welcome to Episode 3 of Cheap Seats, the one sports podcast produced by Lake Orion High School's WDBC Dragon Broadcast Program. I got a special guest here today, Lake Orion alum. He was in the TPEW class. He's from Rylander, Wisconsin, went to Michigan State. He's in the industry probably – I know I want to get into maybe the rest of the guests. Griffin Stroyan's on today.
1: Oh, guys, thank you for having me. Thank you. Happy to be back. Cheap seats was my lifelong blood, man, when I was in the TPW class. So happy to be back.
0: I'm, j- I'm just picturing. I'm not going to lie. I'm picturing, like, the television audience with, like, the big warm welcome or whatever. But um, I got two other people on here. I got Thomas Brandon, a senior, and Jake Parsons, a senior. Um, so today what I want to talk about is NFL, college football, and um, MLB. So let's start with college football. Um, college football just got done with week seven. We're about halfway through the season. I want to get your predictions on some defensive rookie and offensive rookie of the years
2: in the NFL. Yes, offensive rookie of the year. I'm honestly gonna have to say Chase Claypool, the okay. Steelers wide receiver. He's he's going all. He's doing super good right now. I don't know his like exact stats. I know he had like. Four touchdowns in one game a couple weeks ago. So he's like super good. He, he's definitely he's definitely a top runner for offense. Of course, like Justin Herbert, you know. I was gonna say
1: that. I think I think Claypool definitely has been killing it in Pittsburgh. I think he's got a good offense to roll with right now. Um, ben being back this year definitely helps him with that. But I'm I'm on the Herbert bandwagon. I think Herbert has been playing unbelievable. Um, mm-hmm. I think the Chargers are a good team, and I think that. Um, maybe not this year they'll make the playoffs, but I think in the future, I mean, Herbert looks like the real deal. You know, he's, he's got the arm to to back it up and he's got the wheels kind of that Rodgers has like sneaky, good wheels. Um, I would go Herbert. And then for defense, you know, there's not too many defensive players rookie wise that have impressed me a great amount. I think Chase Young will get a lot of talk just because of who he is, but um, I think that the offensive Offensive rookie, for sure. If Herbert keeps playing like he did last week, he's going to run away with it.
0: Yeah, Yeah. um, Justin Herbert's definitely been killing it. Um, Claypool, we mentioned. Uh, One other quarterback, there's two players I kind of want to talk about. First is I'm trying not to be as biased as I can be here, but DeAndre Swift for the Lions. He had that drop week one, but I think I saw he's leading all – running backs in receiving touchdowns right now. Don't quote me on that fact, though. He had a big game against Jacksonville, had a big game against Atlanta. I know those two are kind of questionable defenses, but I want to see what Swift can do for that line's offense. You know, you're talking about Chase Claypool, but you got to look at who he has for a supporting cast. He's got Big Ben as a quarterback. Um, Then Joe Burrow is another name I want to bring up. The number one overall pick killed at LSU. Um, He's been playing out of his mind. And then for defense – Um, probably, I know you mentioned him, Griffin, Chase Young, just because of who he is. And, um, there has been some big signings over the NFL. I know Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown both got signed to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. No, Le'Veon Bell, sorry, went to the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, Dez Bryant got signed to Baltimore's practice squad. So there's some big names that we haven't heard in a couple of years. Coming back to the NFL, out of all those players, who do you think could make the biggest factor in the NFL like in a playoff game? There's Brian, I think. Um,
3: yes, he's on the practice squad in Baltimore, but I can tell you they're doing that to find a place for him in their lineup right out of the gate. And Once they find a spot that he'll be a weapon for the Ravens, they'll put him right on the starting lineup and get him out there for. Oh, uh, Lamar well, Jackson can, can, can consider him another weapon out there on the.
0: Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, one player that I kind of had come to mind is Antonio Brown. I know he played for the Steelers and he went to the Raiders, he went to the Patriots. He's had some attitude issues in the locker room, but you got to think about who the Buccaneers have. They got Tom Brady. They got Rob Gronkowski. They got, they got Mike Evans. They got um Chris Godwin, who fractured his finger, might be out for a couple weeks. So they got probably one of the best offenses in the NFL. They've been killing it the last couple weeks. They embarrassed Green Bay's defense a couple weeks ago. I just think Antonio Brown, he's going to be able to fill that void that Chris Godwin's kind of leaving with the fractured finger. I think Antonio Brown's going to help the Buccaneers make a run.
1: I think
2: I think the most interesting. Of all- I mean, he's going to. No, you're, I'm you're sorry. Going. Go ahead, Griffin. Go ahead. No, you got, it. you got. It. Okay. Well, I was just gonna say, like, I think he's definitely gonna help, but he's such a bad like team. Like, I feel like he's just a terrible team player. Yeah. So at some point, it's just gonna like I don't know. Something's gonna happen. Like something's gonna fall apart there. But he's definitely gonna help them for the short run for the next couple weeks. Definitely.
0: Okay.
1: With, with a, with a B, like you said, he has had those off the field issues where you hope that he can just focus on football in Tampa. Maybe Tom will make him do it. Um, but for me, I think the, the most interesting is, is Des Bryant. He's been out of the league for quite some time now um, with those injuries. He was a dominant player with the Cowboys and can he get back to that form? Cause you know, he was a, a dominant presence at the wide receiver position, was one of the best, and now he's going to be paired up with, you know, a, an MVP quarterback in Lamar Jackson. You know, and other than, you know, Hollywood Brown, it's not like the Ravens have all these great wide receivers. So if Dez Bryant can make an impact and really, you know, dominate games for them, I mean, it, it's going to be hard to not look at the Ravens and think, holy crap, this could be a, a Super Bowl team. But, He's the biggest hit or miss. He's either going to be able to perform because of how good he was or those injuries are just going to be too detrimental that, you know, he's not going to really be that big of an impact on the field.
0: Yeah, I get what you're saying, but I know the Lions kind of took a couple looks at him. I think they had him come in for a tryout once or twice, and there's got to be a reason that they didn't sign him. If it was contract or, like you mentioned, injuries, just does Bryant, I feel like it's a big question mark um right now like you said he's been out of the league for a couple years i feel like like you said he's going to be a big hit or miss but right now i'm kind of leaning towards that miss because of the injuries and there's got to be a reason bob bob Quinn is trying to save his job right now we saw that with the everson griffin trade a couple days ago he's trying to save his job so there's got to be a reason outside of contract that he didn't sign des bryant thomas any any thoughts um Honestly, uh I am not too much of a fan of football. I respect the sport 100%, but like me as a person, um I don't know too much about it and like the only teams I know are like the the Lions and um I can name that on the top of my head and that's it. But I know yeah. that I do know that the all the football players, regardless of who wins or who loses loses <laughs> all of them are passionate for like the sport as a whole like what they do. So, yeah. Yeah, that that's a great that's a good take on it. I never thought about it that way. Um moving on, week 8, you got some big games. I know off the top of my head, the Lions are finally home against the Colts. Their first home look at a decent team who I think could sneak into the playoffs from the bye week. The Bills play the Patriots. Um the Chiefs play the Jets. The Jets are the Dolphins. Um, you got Cleveland coming off that loss. Who do you think's gonna be the Cleveland biggest one? Did Cleveland win? Yes, they won. Okay, Cleveland's coming off that win then. Sorry, I'm trying I don't have ESPN up for like 3734. Let me pull up ESPN then really quickly. Who do you think is gonna be the biggest surprise in week eight? I
3: I personally well everybody knows i'm a cleveland fan but yes you know i'm seriously looking forward to see what baker mayfield is gonna have to do in week eight because his primary target obj is out for the rest of the season now donovan peoples jones who used to play at michigan he is a big he's pretty good when i saw him at michigan but the problem when he was at michigan they didn't have a QB in Shea Patterson that could really throw him the ball that well Uh-oh. to make him do stuff. But Baker Mayfield, <laughs> the improviser, is, I think, I think you know, getting going to have to improvise and use more than just OBJ and go out to Landry, Najoku, and all of them. And I think the Browns might be a surprise the second half of the season, getting that young talent and having to improvise.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, Cleveland, I think, turned a lot of heads. The team I kind of want to look at is the Chicago Bears. They've had question marks all year at the quarterback spot. I know Trubisky started the first couple weeks, got replaced by Nick Foles, who played for the Eagles in that Super Bowl against the Patriots. The biggest question mark for them is the quarterback. I think for me personally, Chicago's been my biggest surprise team so far. They have a bye this week. So I'm going to move on from the Chicago Bears, but shout out to Matt Nagy for the way he's been uh, coaching the Chicago Bears. I know one game besides the Chicago Bears that's, um I'm definitely going to keep my eye on is the Steelers-Ravens game. We've touched on what the Ravens can do offensively. I know we touched on Chase Claypool, but that Steelers defense, that's probably – in my opinion, Ben, one of the biggest surprises for the Steelers this year is that defense. How are they going to be able to to defend Lamar Jackson? That's going to be the question of the week, in my opinion. I mean,
2: last year, if you go back to last year, the Steelers lost big Ben in like week two, I think it was. And they still went eight and eight without him. And I, I forgot what week it was. Um, but we played the Ravens at home. And it was like, It was neck and neck the whole game until, like, the very end. And we had, like, our third-string quarterback out there. It was only neck and neck because of our defense. So, like, I don't know. I have a feeling it's going to be a really close game. And it might even – I I think the Steelers are going to win, obviously. I mean, I'm biased, but we have Big Ben. Our defense is super good. So, I don't know. I'm assuming it's going to be close, but it's – yeah, like a close, low-scoring game. That's what I say for it.
3: Derek, what That's I how think, I see it. What I think, Derek, is that it's going to be interesting to see how Lamar Jackson can do against the defense, not how the defense does against Lamar Jackson, because the defense is pretty proven, in my opinion. Yeah. They're the only undefeated team left. I think Lamar Jackson, this season at least, still has a little bit of proving himself to do, because last season they choked it in the playoffs. So I think he kind of needs to beat a team like this if he wants to show that he can win in the playoffs.
1: So so that, that's interesting. We have a, a Browns fan and a Steelers fan here. So two two neck-and-neck neck teams going against it in the AFC North. I think the AFC North in general is the best conference in football.
0: Um, NFC West. NFC West, in my opinion. Probably.
2: No
1: way, dude. Steelers, Ravens, the Browns are three great teams, and I think the Cincinnati Bengals with Burrow are going to be right up there pretty soon. Okay. Um, but the game – Oh, yeah. This, this game fascinates me for sure along the lines of it's that great – Ravens offense going against that great Steelers defense like we were talking about um but as much as I like the Ravens I think they have a great defense the Steelers have looked dominant man I mean they're doing it on offense and then that defense T.J. Watt Dupree uh I know Devin Bush got hurt but Minka Fitzpatrick I mean dude they got a bunch of like just absolute studs on that defense uh I don't know I just I can't Lamar is a, a freak of nature. He is so good. He's fast. He can throw the ball and everything. But when you got, you know, T.J. Watt bearing down in you every play, it, it's going to be tough for them. But they are at home. I don't know how much home field advantage has to do with, you know, no fans and all that. But um, it's going to be one, one hell of a game for sure.
0: Yeah, um, um, that, that's definitely going to be the week, or the game of the week. Moving on from NFL to fo- or NFL to college football, it feels weird to say that. This, the Big Ten football is back. Who was your biggest surprise in week one?
3: Uh, Mine's got to be Indiana. Stunning Penn State in overtime. Um, I know everybody had a lot of, you know, doubts and stuff about just a couple of the teams like, you know, Minnesota, oh, they're going to upset Michigan right out of the gate. But Indiana coming out from nowhere, upsets, I think it was – Penn State was eight, I think, yeah, power 10 team. That's a big statement win right there. And crap, they're they're in the running now from my point of view. Yeah, and the thing
1: about uh, Indiana, for me at least, um, I love Tom Allen. I think he's one – he's a really great coach. And I think from Indiana, we've seen that 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 growth every year since he's taken um, the head coach job. I remember going to Indiana uh, my junior year uh, to cover the Michigan State football team, and I mean they played them close. Jalen Naylor had a long touchdown run to give them the lead uh, late in that game. But those Tom Allen teams are just getting better with Indiana, and it's it. I mean you saw it on last Saturday against Penn State, a top eight team, like you said. I mean, they're, they're, they're impressive right now. And we'll just see if it was a fluke or not, but you're right by far. I think the most impressive win had to have been that Indiana game.
0: I want to disagree with you, but hats off to Indiana. They had a great game. Um, The biggest surprise for me is I want to say the Michigan, Minnesota game. I know Dawson, you touched on this. A lot of people had Minnesota upsetting Michigan. There's a lot of questions about Joe Melon as a quarterback. he, he said no to those doubters. Like he played awesome in that game and Minnesota, they're going to be a good team in the big 10, but I'm excited to see what Joe Milton can do in his first ever rivalry game this week against Michigan state. It's going to be at home. How much can Harbaugh improve him? But another team I want to talk about is I know last episode, I kind of questioned that Wisconsin offense losing Jonathan Taylor, their workhorse, but They, again, proved all the Dodgers wrong. I know COVID canceled at least one of their games, but I'm going to say offensively the two biggest surprises were Michigan with that quarterback and Wisconsin just overall with their offense. I would have to disagree with you, Derek. I think the biggest surprise for me at least was my team,
3: MSU, Michigan State losing to Rutgers.
0: Yes, that was ugly.
3: I just – I don't know if it's just me because I'm – I'm I'm like a huge MSU fan, but I just did not see that happening. And it was very hard to swallow, to watch. That was a big surprise. It's hard to see
1: Mel Tucker lose his first game to literally. Yes. That shouldn't even be in the big 10 Rutgers, you know, was on a 21 game losing streak within the conference. Yes. Um, So you're right to, to see the Spartans go down and like how they went down was the worst part. Seven turnovers. I mean, you can't win a football game with four turnovers let alone seven. So, um I agree. It was it was a surprise. I think Michigan State fans in general um they didn't go into the season with very high expectations, but it was like, yo, come on, Rutgers? Like are you serious right now?
0: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> okay, I know um in the state of Michigan, this is the game everyone's going to be watching, Michigan-Michigan State game. Griffin, you went to MSU, so you're obviously biased. Um, what do you think we can see in this game, Michigan State versus Michigan, Mel Tucker's first game, Coach Harbaugh's, I want to say, sixth rivalry game? What do you think we can see in that game?
1: So I'll say this. Um, before going to MSU, I was a big Michigan fan, so I can't say that I'm too biased and I've loved both teams, and I still root for Michigan when they don't play Michigan State. But um, I think if you're, if you're a fan of either team uh, along the Michigan side, you hope that they wipe the floor with them. With I, I mean, seriously, when you lose to Rutgers, Michigan had beaten Rutgers, you know, 70 to nothing some games. So you're Michigan, and you want to you know, see your team be the team that they always say they are, that they're worthy of being in the playoff and everything like that. And after how bad MSU did last week, you need a big blowout. I mean, this game can't be close. It's a rivalry game. I understand that, but if you're Michigan and you think that you are a legitimate um, powerhouse, you need to win this game big time. And if you're Michigan state, you need to show some fight. I mean, this is your game of the year. It's happening week two. It's right here. First time with Mel Tucker, you're in the big house. Um, You got to show that you're, you're, you're not the bottom of the big 10. I mean, you still got the season's still young for them. Technically they got a lot going on still. So, you need to just make their – have some fight. I think Lombardi wasn't all that terrible, honestly, on Saturday. He had the one pick, but that was Naylor's fault. It was, a, it was a combination, you know, wrong route or whatnot. He lost a fumble or two, but in general, you know, he still threw for 300 yards. Um, I think he can be the guy. I just think that that team needs to get together and figure out that, you know, it's the small things, the little things, the turnovers, you know, no penalties you know, they just got to play their game. And um, when it comes down to it, are they going to beat Michigan? Let's probably say no. It's a rebuild year for them, but you got to make it close. You got to make it competitive. Um, And if not, then you're starting the year 0-2 and that's never a good start.
0: Yeah. um, You've, You brought up some really good points there. Um, One thing I do want to touch on is the two fumbles lost by Lombardi. I think it was two. Um, The couple of fumbles lost by Lombardi. You also got to blame the online because what's an offensive lineman's number one job is to protect the quarterback. And if your quarterback's losing fumbles, unless he's running outside the pocket and he's rushing downfield, you did not protect the quarterback. So, yeah, Lombardi should have held onto the ball, and he lost it. But – I think some of that blame should go on the offensive line there. And Mel Tucker's first game, I believe it was at Rutgers. I'm not 100% sure about that. So Mel Tucker's first game at Michigan State, nerves, blah, blah, blah. But it's Rutgers. It's a trap game. Go out against Michigan and show that you had fight. You have fight. And who knows? Who knows? Joe Milton could have nerves. He could make some bad decisions. And you could walk out of there with a 2015 repeat of a last second touchdown.
3: Yeah, well, you know, this year is definitely different. The atmosphere is going to be a whole lot different in Ann Arbor this year. There will be no fans. It will be very surreal for the Wolverines, Spartans. You know, this is a game that you could get over 110,000 people there at Michigan Stadium. It's going to be an atmosphere that's going to be unknown to mankind, and, you know, I think whoever manages the game offensively and defensively will come out on top. More than likely it will be Michigan because, you know, state, you know, watching the game, they didn't really capitalize on those turnovers that they had chances with. But if they're going to put up seven turnovers, they might be running themselves out of that stadium at the end of the day. Just give the bunion and leave. It's, you know. I don't know. I can't really say the famous saying, roll in, roll out with the W for state, but I don't know. They might have to get on that bus early.
0: Yeah, um, that's definitely going to, I shouldn't say it's going to be a close game because I really think Michigan is going to blow them out. I'll be honest. I don't think Michigan State's got a chance. And I know you touched on this, Dawson, the no fans, whatever, but Welcome to playing sports. Welcome to being a collegiate and professional sport or athlete, having to deal with different environments. If it's playoff, if it's a bowl game, if it's playing with no fans. So that's just something they're going to have to overcome. And I just don't see Harbaugh losing to Mel Tucker in his first game against Michigan.
1: He's, he's struggling against MSU though. That's for sure. It's a, uh, you know, a couple games that he's, he should have won, but lost. Um, who knows, though? It's a rivalry game, so anything can happen, but I think, as everyone's saying, if you're a betting man, I'm putting all my chips on Michigan. Milton looked good against Minnesota, and it was a tough road game even without fans. So, at home, it, it you would think. You would think, but, you know, you play the game for a reason.
0: Yeah, moving on from some football, let's talk about some baseball. World Series got wrapped up Monday night. Let's say Thursday. So, Tuesday night, it got wrapped up. Game six, um... First off, I want to talk about that decision by Kevin Cash pulling Snell out in, I believe that was the sixth inning, pulling him out after like 75 pitches, just gave up his Mm -hmm. second hit. What do you think was going on in Kevin Cash's mind to pull out? Blake Snell is his ace. Blake Snell has been the workhorse all year. Blake Snell won them game two for crying out loud. What was going on in Kevin Cash's mind to pull him out or a reliever who has not done well in these playoffs? Uh,
3: you know, I was watching the game, and, you know, the Dodgers weren't generating much off of him the whole game. I'm very surprised with that decision. I don't think it was really thought through fully, but, you know, after they swapped him out, it just went downhill. It was, yeah. it was bad, and... I think they gave up a – I think it was two-run shot, I think, shortly after they swapped them out. That kind of sealed the deal. And yeah, I don't know. I, you know, Tampa Bay fans, of course, are probably really pissed, but I'm not a Tampa fan, so I don't really have a say. But, you know, I would definitely be questioning my management at that point. Like, hello, second hit? That's nothing. Now, if it was like 12th hit or something, you know, that's something different. But two? I don't know. That sounds like a decent game to me, but I don't know.
1: I mean, the way I look at it is, Blake Snell was dealing. He absolutely was. Only gave up two hits. Um, I can't remember how many strikeouts, but I think it was around seven. You know, I mean, he was he was dealing. Um, and his stuff was filthy that game. To take him out in the biggest game that the Rays had been in at that at that moment wasn't. a a good idea, but you also have to go back to, you know, the whole year where this is how the Rays were playing baseball. You know, they would take out their, you know, their big names and put in relievers early, or they would start with relievers and then bring in their big guys. I mean, it's that new analytics aspect of baseball that the Rays were playing. and, And that is what got them to the world series. So while I might not agree with taking out Snell, you know, they were sticking to their game plan. They've been doing it all year. It got them this far to game six of the world series. So, you know, why not stick with it in that sense? But obviously when you make that kind of a decision and it backfires on you, there's going to be a lot of, you know, questioning of your managerial skills and all that. But, um, and, and let's, let's not act like the Dodgers hadn't been doing the same thing throughout many other games. So Yes, it really bit them, and Blake Snell is a different pitcher than, you know, just your average starter. I mean, the guy is a Cy Young winner, you know, he's he's one of the best in the game right now, so um, it was a questionable decision for sure. Looking back, I bet he wishes he could change his mind, but this is literally what the Rays have been doing all
3: year.
0: Yeah, um, but I know analytics is a big part of baseball, but it's an elimination game like this is when or you go home so there's there's a time and a place for analytics the race played phenomenal this year best record in the American League East let's remember who they beat they beat New York who everyone pretty much everyone had them going up against the Dodgers in the World Series and they beat the Astros who I'll be honest I kind of wanted to see a repeat of the 2017 World Series but they beat two really good teams using analytical baseball, but it's an elimination game. So there is definitely a time and place for analytics, but that's just, in my opinion, a time to go with your workhorse and go with the guy who's been pitching outstanding for you. I know you mentioned he's a Cy Young winner. There's a reason he's a Cy Young winner in baseball. So you just stick with your starting pitcher there and. I don't know. Like you said, Kevin Cash probably re- gets, regrets regrets the decision. It's analytics, but you you stick with Snell in that situation. So, um, trying to think if there's anything else I want to talk about. Uh, Justin Turner going from the race to the Dodgers. Justin Turner um, game pulled out of Game Six, getting let back onto the field to celebrate with this team after testing positive for COVID nineteen. What's your thoughts on that?
1: I'm I'm not a fan of it. I th- So, you know, there's there's the two sides of it, you know, where, um. you know, he was on the Dodgers for so many years and lost so many World Series, and here they are finally winning it. How could you not let him on the field and celebrate with his team and whatnot? But also at the same time, you know, we're all in this global pandemic. We're all just trying to make it through. I mean, we're doing this over Zoom right now instead of, you know, in the podcast room or whatever, you know, like we're all dealing with it. So, um, you know, he, he got like special treatment in a sense of being able to celebrate with his team and everything like that. Um, and and so the, the thing that I just don't get, and I don't understand is if he had a test that was in question, why was he in the game at all? Um, you know, he played the first eight innings of the game and, and, you know, had to be yanked mid game because they finally got his test in, you know, obviously in my opinion, if you don't have the results yet, you, you just don't let them play. Um, it just doesn't seem fair to the Rays who were doing it right and playing by the books. And um, it also doesn't seem fair to the Dodgers who now could potentially have players who are sick and contract the virus. So um, it, it doesn't make much sense to me. I think major league baseball has got to work on it. And uh, Manfred talking after the game, I mean, he sounded terrible. I don't know what was wrong with him, but. Um, I think in general, it is baseball is, is decreasing in a lot of aspects with compared to other, you know, major sporting, you know, NFL, ML, uh, NBA and all that. Um, and I don't think they help themselves by any means with, with that whole debacle.
0: No, I, um, I agree with you. He shouldn't have been left led onto the field, but you mentioned it. He played in the 2017 world series against the Astros Lost. He played in the 2018 World Series against the Red Sox. He lost. So he knows what it feels like to lose a World Series. And so this was a chance for him to be, hey, I'm on top of the world. We're the best team in baseball. But and I know my parents, um, I was talking with them about this actually last night. Um, they brought up a good point. What if it was a player vote? vote? Like there could be some off field stuff that happened after the game between the game ending and the trophy presentation where hey let's let Turner onto the field and celebrate with us you got to realize how big of a factor he was in that world series he hit the game or he hit the first inning home runs in game four and game five so he was a factor in the series so it could have been up to a player vote but he shouldn't have been let onto the field and we could be talking about different players if it's Dodgers or Rays contracting the virus from him here in a couple of weeks.
1: It'll be interesting for sure. But I, I in general, think the better, the best team won. I mean, the Dodgers were dominant all year. Yes. Um, You know, with Mookie Betts, Kershaw, Walker Bueller. I mean, that team was, was destined to win the world series. I'm just curious how people will uh, perceive it with it being only a 60 game regular season and everything like that. I mean, it's, you know, only a third of the games that they usually play. I mean, with the NBA finals, I don't feel like it's tainted at all because they still played the whole series, the whole season that, you know, the playoffs were all the same um, even with the NHL kind of the same way, but with baseball, I mean, there was a significant difference in a lot of aspects, even the postseason was different. So um, I wonder, you know, 10 years from now, how will baseball and how will fans look at this world series? Like, will it actually count quote unquote? I mean, obviously when we look back in the record books, the 2020 World Series champions will be the L.A. Dodgers. But how will baseball in general rule it? And I think, you know, I think regardless, even if they played, you know, the full the whole year, I, I don't know who's beaten the Dodgers. And let's remember that they signed David Price and he didn't even play because of COVID. So, um, I mean, that whole team is just unbelievable.
0: Yeah, um, I get where you're coming from. But you got to remember the competition they're playing in baseball. I don't care if it's 162 games, if it's five games, or if it's 60 games like it was. They're still playing the same teams. They're still playing the same competition. The only team to beat them in a series in the whole season was the Colorado Rockies. So there's something to be said there that the only team to beat them in a series, yeah, it was only the American League West and the National League West, but the only team to beat them in a series was the Colorado Rockies. And this is Major League Baseball. This is the best MLB, or these are the best baseball players in the country. So the competition is outstandingly high. And so the Dodgers were the best team in the United States this year and Canada, even though the Blue Jays played in Buffalo. Um, I think that about wraps it up. Thank you for listening to episode three of Cheap Seats. Um, Once again, thank you to Griffin for joining us. And thank you to everyone else for coming on. Um, Any last thoughts? Yo, go green. Go green. Um, Hopefully we do have a Michigan State victory to talk about in a couple weeks. But anyway, once again, thank you for listening to episode four of Cheap Seats. That's all I got to say.